this is becoming something that's at the top of the strategic agenda for for our company and and this is ultimately something that's part of the core enterprise software stack if you look at traditional learning we might only master you know 60% of the content that we still move forward the notion of mastery learning is that we serve you up content until you've mastered everything over 50% of the global workforce will will have to be significantly upskilled or reskilled and that means that we'll have to learn radically new knowledge every 5 to 10 years so as a function of that we'll also need new systems that can more continuously teach us these things that that we have to master Welcome to another episode of Tabula Rasa, our podcast on the future of education. My name is Jenny. And I'm Felix. Hello and welcome. Tabula Rasa is Latin and it means erasing everything that's been around and starting to sketch something new on a blank canvas. That's the mission we're going for with this format, interviewing entrepreneurs, politicians, educators and other people that are challenging the way we think about education today. This is a special episode, as you can tell from the first two lines. This is our very first episode that we recorded in English. Why? Today's guest, Joel Hellermark, is Swedish. And since Felix and my Swedish is, let's say, below podcasting standard, we decided to record this first English language episode. Joel is the founder of Sana Labs, a Swedish company building an end-to-end personalized learning platform. How it works, you'll hear from Joel himself. It's pretty cool. Plus, if you check their website, you'll see immediately that the team has a clear passion for design and making educational products that look modern and fun. A little disclaimer, when I'm not recording podcasts, I work as a venture capital investor at EQT Ventures. We have been fans of Giles' vision for a while and a couple of months ago, we decided to invest in Sana Labs. Therefore, I might be a tiny bit biased on this one. Together with Joel, we explore in detail how Sana works. We take a look at the science behind it, we discuss Sana's strong focus on user experience and design, and we take a look at their vision for the future. Of course, we also discuss if such a model of tech-driven personalization of learning is actually viable for our schools in the future as well. Last but not least, Joel tells us why Kanye West is actually the person he'd like to discuss education with. This is a little test, obviously, but we will most likely release more English episodes next to our German ones in the future as well as there are so many interesting guests around the globe that we'd love to talk to. If you have feedback, please let us know what you think. And otherwise, have fun with this episode and with Joel. Here we go. So this is actually our very, very first interview in English. You're a bit of a guinea pig for us. Uh, a little first test. Not sure if you knew that, but uh, welcome, Joel Hellermark. Really cool to have you here. Yeah, thank um, you so much for having me. You already know that one of our, because we told you, we never usually tell that, but we already know that one of our final questions is around uh, the one person you would like to discuss education with. We always ask uh, our, our guests that very same questions. And what you didn't know is that on the very top of Felix and my personal list has always been Barack Obama. And you already had a chance to talk to him, which is pretty, pretty cool. So the first question that we were super curious about was, um, what did you chat about? What did you learn? What did, did he tell you? Yes, I was very fortunate to be part of uh, the Obama uh, leaders uh, program. And as a, as a re uh, result of that, I could got the chance to learn from everything from Ben Rhodes, who wrote many of 
of Obama's uh, speeches to uh, speaking with President Obama him, himself. And uh, there were a lot of lessons around uh, leadership, about managing uh, your energy, about building communities that, that came out of that discussion. What was the major learning you took away from, from talking to him? Any specific insight? I think the value of empathy and being very effect, very good at empathizing with various audiences. And I think that's something that Obama has, has always led with, uh, both with his team directly, but, but also in, in the communities that he's, he's led uh, generally. So that's something that really staying very connected with the communities that, that you serve and, and being able to, to understand their, their pain points um, uh, is, is something that, that I've really learned from him. Super cool. What I think is, is, is cool in the US is that Obama really made education um, one of his like presidential uh, topics and especially now after his presidency is, is sticking with the topic. And that's something we're like here in Germany are missing this like presidential um, speech about uh, or, or presidential mission um, or chancellor mission in our case um, on, on making education work. So I think that that's that's pretty impressive and, 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 and great that he's on it. Indeed. Who who else uh, influenced you in, in sort of your your thinking of future of education? Who did you learn learn from along the way? I think Buckminster Fuller is is one of the persons who um, like inspired my worldview the most. I think the the first and and maybe the most important lesson that I drew from him is is this notion of meta problems. And uh, um, as a kid, I was thinking a lot about what what I should allocate. My, my life to and what my life's work would, would be. And, and he always spoke about these meta problems. And the meta problems were that if, if you make progress in those, uh, that cascades to all other industries as, as well. And uh, um, Buckminster said that the ultimate meta problem, that's education. Because if we on a global scale can improve education, uh, the cascade effects in, in science and health and climate Uh, that will come from that is, is immense. Uh, so that's ultimately what I did, decided to, to, to make my life's work, to, to dedicate that to, to improving uh, education on a, on a global scale. For all the listeners um, who maybe don't know about your background and don't know about Sana Labs, can you give us some insight on how actually you started to think about the future of education What led to it? What inspired you to start this journey? Of course. So I'm very much a result of, of uh, online education and autodidacticism. So as a kid, I stumbled up on all of these online courses and uh, Andrew Eng put up his uh, Stanford uh, course and uh, introduction to artificial intelligence. And that's ultimately what, what led me to the field. So as a kid, I was taking a lot of these courses on online and, and reading and And uh, as a result of that, started working as a, as a software engineer um, uh, already when I was like 14, um, was doing uh, software engineering work, then ultimately founded a video recommendation company. And, and then from there, I, I wanted to look at what, what, what's, uh, what's a mission that I could dedicate the, the, the rest of my career to. And, and then I looked at learning and, and what I thought was very intriguing with, with, with learning is both the learning sciences um, and, and combining that with machine learning to drive more personalized experiences. So how can we learn from data, what you already know, what you struggle with, how you learn, and then on a 
very precise level, personalize the learning experience after you. So it really was this combination of my two, two core passions, which was learning and artificial intelligence that kind of merged in, in, into the vision for, for, for SANA. Tell us a bit about SANA. Like what does, um, for the listeners, what does SANA look like? What, what, what does it do today? Of course, Asana is essentially a personalized learning platform uh, that enables you to author uh, personalized courses that adapt to, to each learner's knowledge level. So in Asana, we, we partner with everything from some of the world's largest health systems. During the pandemic, we worked with over 2,000 hospitals, training over 80,000 health workers. Um, we work with many of the Fortune 500s in use cases ranging from technology to pharma. And uh, the learner experience is, is, is very different from the traditional one size fits all in that based on your individual knowledge level, SANA will adapt the content and create the personalized learning path for you. So if the three of us are going through a course, all three of us will probably start at a different level, depending on what we know from, from before. And also we might chat, have struggle with different things throughout that journey. So SANA creates a much more personalized and adaptive experience through, uh, through all of this. And the result is that uh, we, uh, um, you can learn this content in, in half the time and remember it three times longer through having a much more adaptive uh, approach. So as we stand in front of this challenge of upskilling the global workforce, we think that Uh, humanity really needs uh, much more efficient tools to to deliver that, and and that's ultimately what what we hope to build with with Sana. Plus, it looks pretty cool. It's uh, finally a con consumer grade product um, for for today corporate learning, which I think is pretty cool. Um, because when when I personally think of corporate learning, um, it, it 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 often makes me think of like super badly designed frames, like case studies and multiple choice questions uh, on, on on compliance or so a little bit outside of uh, of, um, of of the sort of real real life working environment that I'm in why does corporate learning suck so badly i think it sucks so badly because it was built for admins and, and not for learners and uh, that's what we're we're seeing increasingly in in enterprise software more generally that kind of prosumer movement where we're developing effective tools for the end users rather. And we're seeing that increasingly the end users, they are selecting the tools that they want to work with for, for their work. And when, when they have that optionality that creates competition and, and that competition drives better user experiences. And, and I think that's what, what we're gonna, gonna see in learning now that increasingly as, as the end users start selecting their tools, they will come to expect consumer grade products. And, And that's really what, what we're then to build with Sana, a very delightful uh, user experience that, that you love to use and come back to every day to learn new things. And we think that might also radically shift the perception of corporate learning. To your point, you, what you associate with corporate learning is, is compliance, something that you do maybe once or twice a year. But if we look uh, at what learning should be in the future, that should be something you come back to every single day. It might be upskilling around data science um, as a researcher at a pharma company, uh, but you'll continuously have to, to learn the new things. And you'd want to do that in a very delightful and personalized user experience. And, and ultimately, we think that would fundamentally change the behavior and the perception. So hopefully in, in a few years, what you associate with, with learning is, is not that corporate learning co course, but something that really empowered you 
um, to make more progress in in uh, in your domain. Before we talk a bit more about the aspect of actually personalized learning, maybe you can talk a little bit more or tell us a little bit more about the use cases. You just said, um, for example, that you work uh, with healthcare companies. Maybe you can go a little bit more into what kind of content can you learn uh, with the SANA platform and also how do you create or aggregate this content? Where does it come from? Of course. So in Sana, you can use some of our templates and, and, and courses that, that come off the shelf. But a big portion of, of the courses are, are, are the ones that you develop. And uh, given that we partner with everything from health systems to pharma companies to technology companies, the type of content can vary greatly. But to share a couple of examples, one example can be uh, uh, the, the world's largest pharma company who wants to train their workforce on, on data science. Um, and, and what they realize is that both data science is specific to this pharma company. So they can't take something that's entirely off the shelf. They want to produce something that's specific to, to their company and their problems. Uh, but they can also take a couple of resources from, from what already exists on some explanations of machine learning, for example. So they start, they produce a, con uh, a course, uh, course in, in SANA, and, and then they invite their workforce to take part of, of this content. SANA then starts with a placement test, assessing what you already know, what you struggle with, and, and, and understands your uh, unique knowledge level, and then creates a personalized uh, learning path for every um, employee at that pharma company. So they can get upskilled in a faster and personalized way. That's one example. Another example could be during the pandemic, we had to really upskill the global workforce in, in healthcare. So we have had um, millions of, 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 uh, of health workers who might not previously had, had worked with uh, something uh, that, that comes close to COVID-19. So they had to learn everything from how to operate the mechanical ventilator to, um, to uh, their own safety as well as prevention. Uh, but each one of them would also start at a very different knowledge level. Some might have worked in an intensive care unit before, others were brand new to it. SANA could then adapt to their needs and then upskill them in the most effective manner. But what SANA would also do is remind them of this content over time, because on average, we forget 70% of the content that we saw yesterday. So imagine you're working with, with health staff that has forgotten 70% of their training, you wouldn't feel very safe. So SANA also reinforces these concepts to create long-term memories, applying the best from, from learning sciences. Um, and then maybe a third is, is working with uh, one of the world's largest uh, technology companies to, uh, to train uh, their teams around everything from product management to artificial intelligence to how to work in more agile ways. So as you hear, the use cases can vary uh, very broadly and, and SANA is a content agnostic platform. And, and really what, what, what we're aiming for is ubiquity across all of these use cases. Um, so ultimately we think most, most companies will, will have a learning platform and, and that will become as ubiquitous as something like Slack or, or Google. And, and, uh, and, and that's really the opportunity that we're, we're aiming to go after. When you talk about it, it sounds super straightforward, but I, I know that the, the science behind it is, is rather complex. Could you share a little bit about how, what sort of the scientific backbone of, of what, you, what you do at SANA? 
Of course. So if we look at the learning science field more generally, there's a few things that are very proven that uh, most learning scientists kind of accept that these actually work. Um, one of those concepts is, is mastery-based learning. Uh, so if you look at traditional learning, we might only master you know, 60% of the content, but we still move forward. The notion of mastery learning is that we serve you up content until you've mastered everything. Because if we look at learning generally, all of the coming concepts build on prerequisites. So if you don't learn the prerequisites, you'll accumulate knowledge gaps that would make it more difficult for you to learn. So mastery learning is one of the principles. Uh, the second principle is the notion of spaced repetition. So if we increase the intervals between which we present information over time, that information will be remembered much longer. So just by increasing the intervals, so instead of presenting uh, the concept three times on the same day, we present it over a, uh, after a week, and then after two weeks, and then after two months, this information will uh, be retained up to a year longer. Uh, so that's another uh, notion from, uh, from, from learning, learning sciences. And, and there's a, a host of others, like testing, the testing effects and so on that, that, that we look to. The second then is, is the one around ma machine learning. And uh, we're applying machine learning to this task. It both allows you, us to understand the content on the fundamentally new level. So let's say you're, you're really struggling with a couple of questions. What we want to figure out then is what resource will most effectively help address this specific knowledge gap uh, that you've struggled with and recommend that to, to you. So that the, using natural language processing to analyze the text allows us to do that type of recommendations, but also analyzing your interactions. Uh, how difficult are the questions you interact with? Uh, what's their assessment quality, how quickly did you answer them, and so on. We can analyze those kinds of things. And then maybe the third component is also we can empower the authors to produce better content. So we can empower them with not just as they're producing the content and say, maybe you shouldn't have double negatives here because that can be confusing to a learner, but also this seems to be a question that is too easy or too difficult. Uh, you might want to adjust it. So we both have this basis that comes from learning sciences, but also combining that with the best from machine learning to drive more uh, effective learning experiences. I mean, the value proposition that you have those very individual learning paths that are tailored to your existing knowledge as well, is a super strong one. I can imagine that right now it's a product that is actually super relevant for like larger corporates who also have like a learning division. Do you plan to also move the product to smaller SMEs who also have this huge demand for um, upskilling and reskilling their employees, but maybe don't have the resources to actually create their own content, to create their own programs? Um, is there like a more standardized way to, to tailor your product to also smaller companies? Or is that something that you're not really looking at right now? No, of course, I, I, something that's... Uh that's coming up for us now is, is opening up SANA self-serve so that anyone can adopt it. And I think that's, that's going to be a very exciting journey because as you develop tools, you never really know how, they've been, how they're going to be used. And I'm hoping that uh, people might start using SANA both in unexpected domains, but also in unexpected ways. Uh, but as we open up self-serve, that will, of course, enable us to target the segment that is more SMBs as, as well. 
um, and, and empower them with, uh, with these learning tools as, as well. And, and coming back to the previous point around ubiquity is that that's something that I'm really passionate about, the, the idea of personalized learning for everyone everywhere. I'd like to st uh, take take a step back because we're talking a lot about reskilling and upskilling, and um, let's let's chat about why that is so important. Because um, we we use it a lot, but like, why does it become even more important in 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 society for I don't know the next the next decade to to think about reskilling and upskilling? So the half life of, of skills today is around five years. Uh, that that means that. Uh, a big body of the knowledge that we sit might might be outdated quite quite shortly and then you have all very emerging skills uh, meaning that over 50% of the global workforce will will have to be significantly upskilled or reskilled that can be emerging domains but also due to automation some some of the concepts that we know might might become irrelevant so in that sense the, the upskilling and, and reskilling has has never been more in, important And, and that means that we'll have to be radically uh, learn radically new knowledge every five to ten years, and we won't be able to, to rely on, on the previous education that, that we've done. So as a function of that, we'll also need new systems that can more continuously teach us these things that, that we have to master. And as we go through that shift, then I, I think we need a Uh, a whole new generation of intelligent predictive uh, tools and and uh, so it's it's more important than ever but it also requires a, a new set of of tools to uh, to solve this when we talk about reskilling and upskilling can you give us your perspective in what industries do you see the most transformative shifts um, throughout the next years where is actually the demand um, on the highest level when it comes to really um, reskilling and transforming the profiles of the employees you have? On which industries are you looking when it comes to that question? If we look at it generally, um, the concept of automation, we have around 5% of, uh, of all jobs that will be completely uh, automated. And, and those are the jobs then that will need a complete uh, reskilling. Re But if we if we look at, at the rest, it's sixty uh, percent of, of all jobs will have thirty percent being being automated, and that's thirty percent of the tasks that we, we do that day to day that that we will be automated, and and that will free up uh, resources to fo focus on on new things, and 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 as a function of that, we'll also have to to learn new things, um, and I think uh, we're, we, we, there's some domains where where this shift might be bigger. Uh, but I think generally pretty much every industry faces, faces this, this challenge, no matter if, if you're Amazon or, or Spotify or uh, a company like Novartis or AstraZeneca or um, uh, uh, a company like Nike or Adidas, all of these follow um, have paradigm shifts that will uh, require Both reskilling, but but maybe even more so upskilling of of all of their uh, employees. So I think it's 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 actually quite a across the board, and and every industry will be impacted. 
when when you think about that that journey in all those industries um and 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 um i think yeah obviously i'm by profession a fan fan of your product and i think it's going to be going to be really really exciting if if we actually have that product that makes people enjoy learning uh, upskilling reskilling just like learning new um, new tools um, new stuff new topics um, really really exciting Where does your journey go? Like, where? How does Sana support in five years? What does it look like? And not the investor answer in this case, but we're <laughs> um, like, like your 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 visionary answer. Where where do you want to go? I think we we're we're really striving for 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 ubiquity and providing this vision of personalized learning for for everyone everywhere and. I think one one of the things that I find personally the most exciting with with this problem domain is that it's it's not finite in that there's so much that we can do on the on the authoring side allowing authors to produce much more interactive and engaging content in a collaborative and AI assisted way so just the authoring there's so much to do uh, and then if we look at the learning experience I also think there's an immense amount of, of, of ways in, in which we can evolve the learning uh, experience to, to become more engaging and to be, become something that's much more integrated in, into our day-to-day -day work. And then also across analytics, how we analyze these outcomes and, and understand both the content, but also the learners to, on, a, on a whole new level. Um, so across these three, three um, Uh, uh, touch points, I think there's an immense amount of work to do. So even in 10 or 20 years, I, I, I think we will just be getting started in, in terms of transforming uh, what the, the learning experience and, and development process uh, looks like. And, and if we look back at this from more of a kind of grand scale, and, and we look back at at where this all really started with, with the printing press. Since the printing press, not that much has, has changed. So what the printing press essentially enabled is that we can make multiple copies of the same text and we can distribute this text um, on a global level. And since the, the printing press, that's kind of the same behavior that we've been replicating, presenting the same information in the exact same way to more people at a broader scale. But how that information is, is uh, presented hasn't changed much. It hasn't become that much more uh, adaptive. It hasn't become that much more engaging. So I think um, what we're, we're currently seeing is that with machine learning and, and with making everything uh, digital, we can also enable a much more personalized and engaging experience. And if we take some lessons from the printing press, changing the way the world learns fundamentally changes the, the world. And so what I'm super help, hopeful is if, if we can uh, bring learning forward, uh, that can hopefully change the world in a very positive way, much like the historical tools has, has done. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, to, to that point, I think we're, we're only getting started now. We'll only Uh, be getting started in, in five years as, as well. And there's so much more to do in, in this domain. I think the, the question of quality content, which you just mentioned, is super interesting because I can imagine 
it's also to some degree a risk if a company is actually not really providing very engaging content that it somewhat dilutes the overall learning experience that employees have with uh, SANA. Can you give us a few insights into how does the software or the algorithm actually detect that content is not engaging? Like what data points do you use to then give uh, recommendations on how to improve on that content? Yeah, that's a very good question. And, and, and ultimately, I think the best tools, they, they make it hard to fail. And so our ambition with, with SANA has always been make it difficult to create disengaging content and make engaging content kind of the default in, in some way. And uh, one way to, to do that is, is through creating more interactive elements in SANA. As you're producing this content, you have access to a wealth of elements that that uh, that you can build your your lessons lessons with but the second point then is around nudging uh, the the authors this can be uh, from data that we've gathered from their learners have how have learners rated this lesson what comments have they given uh, if it's a question how difficult is this question? Uh, it, does it seem to be confusing and so on? So using that as, as inputs for the authors to improve the content. But then the, the, the second point is, uh, is then also applying stuff like machine learning where we can speak to the best authors in the world, try to download uh, everything that, that we learn, learn from them and then try to nudge all of the authors to produce content at that level. So that can be real-time nudges that pop up in SANA, like this uh, is very text-heavy and dense. You might want to split it up with an image here, or um, you might want to highlight this concept uh, clearer, or you're using double negatives in a question, and that would be confusing. Uh, so that's a, a set of ways in, in which I, I think you can improve the, the content development process. What other tools do we need as a society besides SANA to really get going on on like education for the next decade and beyond like what what other startups for example do you look up to internationally um, what other tools would you build if you weren't building sana i think ultimately um ultimately it it the it actually depends quite a lot on on the on the country that you're in so given that i i'm kind of a result of the Swedish uh, school system. I think I have a quite naive view on, on this. And it's easy to take for granted really how, how great this, the Swedish uh, school systems is. Uh, um, if, if I would have uh, grown up in the US school system, I think a big, a big um, topic for me would have been how can we change the financial structure of, of how you pay for your for your education um, in Sweden you you get that for free so you really don't have any challenges with the with the financing options but uh, that I think will will uh, will be on a, on a more global level uh, having uh, um, some equivalent to to um, or what Obama introduced with Obamacare but for education and and providing significant resources for people to invest in their upskilling and, and reskilling, I, I think that that will be um, extremely uh, important. And then uh, for for other tools, I think um, there might be some tools that are 
are teaching us concepts um, in maybe like unexpected ways. Probably one one of the tools that has done the most positive for education is YouTube. Um, and that's probably not something that, that we would ever put in an edtech category. Um, but if you look at the single tool that has probably done the most good to, to our field, uh, it's, it's most likely YouTube. Uh, that's where all of the kids go to learn. If you're studying, you go there. So uh, that's, that's uh, something that I think has really contributed and, and something that I, I, I've, been a, I've been a fan of. Uh, and and um, they've also proven the kind of idea of personalized learning, but in a slightly different way in which their recommendation engine can take you down positive rabbit holes. Uh, if, if you're a kid learning about a specific domain, you got into physics, and then you continuously served with the physics content you're most likely to want to learn, that's creating a lot of engagement around this, this subject. So um, the recommendation is, 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 of course, having a lot of side effects in other domains, but for education, I think it has been very constructive. Yeah, that's a, a super good point. We actually interviewed Daniel Jung, um, who is uh, the, the I would say, the biggest German YouTube teacher a while ago. Um, he has like over 250 million views on his math videos that are super boring. Sorry, Daniel, I hope he's not <laughs> listening. <laughs> But in the end, he, it, it's just him standing in front of like a whiteboard um, doing math. Uh, but still, it's transformative. And especially um, in, in like 2020, um, Swedish schools have been open consistently, right? But uh, I mean, schools yeah. in Germany have been closed for what is it like six months now um, over, over the last, last year. So um, having those kind of resources um, in a super accessible way has been a game changer for sure. Indeed. Where do you see the market for corporate learning solutions heading? I mean, it's, it's a market where everyone always sees like this huge potential. Um, it's a billion, billion uh, dollar market. And then again, it's still quite hard to really gain traction in this market as well. Maybe you can give us a brief outlook. What is your perspective on the market? And also, what will market leaders of the future uh, will do better than uh, other companies in that space? Of course, I think in both education and in more of the corporate setting, um, you're much better off looking at it from a bottoms-up perspective than a top-down. Uh, these top-down metrics are, I think, primarily confusing. You look at like a six trillion ed education market, but many are just struggling, you know, to get to three or five million dollars in, in, in revenue in this in this space. And uh, so, I think you're you're much better off looking at this from a bottoms-up. And I think uh, in if you look at corporate uh, learning, I think. Ultimately, you're not only tapping into the to kind of the learning budgets, but this is becoming something that's at the top of the strategic agenda for for a company, and and this is ultimately something that's part of the core enterprise uh, software um, uh, stack. Um, and if you look at it more bottoms up, I think you you have most of the uh, of the Fortune 2000s now putting this as one of their top five uh, priorities to. Uh, deliver more effective upskilling and, and, and training. And, uh, and ultimately, I, I think you, you'll see this more broadly across all of the companies will, will invest in, 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 in learning. Um, so 
yeah, the first point, I guess, is, is it's not super useful to look at these aggregated numbers because when you actually break them, break them down, there's not much left for, for the specific tools that, that you are developing. And it's much more effective looking at it more bottoms up, like who are we actually targeting? What are the types of budgets we could get access to with this type of, of, of tool? And, and, and so on. And, and if we look at it, I think corporate learning will be seen differently in the future. It's not corporate learning, but it's, you know, how do you empower your organization with the knowledge that they need? And if you are doing a transformation of a pharma company, we're trying to take it from a company that wasn't use, using data in the most efficient way to like a data first company. All of that starts with knowledge. Uh, you have to train every single worker across your organization. And then all of a sudden your work, your learning is moving from something where it was more of a, like a compliance budget or something to something that is at the heart of the transformation of one of the world's most valuable companies. And that is also unlocking a whole new set of, of, of budget. So I'm, I'm fortunate for, I'm um, hopeful for, for the future that uh, we, we will be getting a very new perspective on corporate learning. And, and that's why I hear you, you frequently say corporate learning. And that's something that I think that, that wording is something I really try to avoid because it sounds so boring and so, so dull, but actually it should like be compliance. something that's <laughs> Yeah, it's like compliance. And I think this should actually be something that's incredibly exciting in that how can we empower our global workforce with the knowledge that they need to bring new innovations to society? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and what I what I think is cool about about your product, and maybe you can also talk about that a bit more, is how you you actually bring analytics also to to that equation, um, so that companies can actually like calculate the ROI of what they are putting out there, um, because I think that's going to be crucial to to actually get away from. Yeah, learning is like a necessity for HR because, like, I don't know, we have that budget, so you have to use it for something. Um, but to actually see see the effect of uh, of that spending. Exactly, and we're seeing it being directly correlated with sales performance. For example, if if we're trading the sales staff and in, in the products or the medicines that we're 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 selling more effectively, that's ultimately driving uh, driving sales. You're seeing that. Um, also, in the output of R&D teams, if, if you can train all of the medical researchers to use data science more effectively, that will help them to develop medicines faster and, and, and in a more efficient way. Um, and that ultimately um, is, is also something that, that, that drives, uh, drives revenue. Um, so I think uh, that's another generation of, of learning tools will also be able to connect to business data in a more effective way and, and overlap that so that you can say, okay, we invested in this set of, of, uh, of, of learning and people learn these skills and that ultimately drove um, improved sales, uh, shorter cycles for developing new medicines and, and so on. So that's something that I find quite intriguing in how you can connect this these uh, data sets in, in, in such a way where you can see how learning correlates to uh, your other business metrics. What I often hear from uh, companies also in my role as a consultant is that they actually have a hard time to identify the dimensions on which they need to develop or upskill their employee base and also to identify those skill gaps they might uh, have in the future. 
what do you recommend to those companies? What would be an approach to be more proactive and actually identifying potential skill gaps that are emerging in the future? There's a set of tools that have standardized skill taxonomies that you can assess against. And those tools might vary depending on, on your, your, your domain. Uh, so that's one option, going for those more off-the-shelf tools. And another one is developing one, uh, one your, yourself. So uh, if you have a clear idea, then you might want to develop your own skill taxonomy to see what, what do we really value across all of our different roles in, in our organization. And then in a tool like Sana, you can develop that taxonomy. And then when, when, uh, when a learner starts, you can assess what skills they already have. So uh, a product manager might you might want certain skills in them and then they can start with a skill assessment and based on the outcome of that they get a personalized learning path of things that they don't know but they should know for their product management uh, role um, but then they can also see as they as they grow in their career and move into new roles what is the delta between the the skills that they know and the skills that they need for for that specific role so um if you don't, if, if you're, for example, you don't know really what the skill gaps are and what the skill taxonomy should look like, um, you might go to a tool like Pluralsight, which has a lot of these taxonomies off the shelf. Or this is something that you could also develop with, with a tool like Sana or, or others. Do you think that it's possible to bring the mission and the value proposition of Sana? also to schools and what potential challenges do you see when it comes to that question? Of course, we've seen a lot of work in, in personalized learning in a school setting in, in K-12 historically. Um, the research started with Bloom's Two Sigma where, where um, Benjamin Bloom proved that the learners uh, that uh, received a personalized curriculum uh, perf uh, performed two standard deviations better. Uh, we also saw several studies coming out of Belinda and Melinda Gates Foundation where the learners that received personalized learning performed 50% better. I think that the challenge is that um, in a K-12 setting, many of the companies become very, very um, uh, country specific because the curriculums varies so greatly. And what that also means is that there's less R&D budget. So given that the companies might only be operating in, in quite small markets, uh, such as Sweden, they also have less resources to invest in, in R&D and the development of, of personalized learning, learning platforms. Um, but in certain domains, such as uh, literacy, you're seeing some global players uh, um, uh, emerging. And, and one of those is a company called Astrid Education, which Uh, combine speech recognition technology with, with personalized learning to deliver uh, a completely personalized experience uh, to learn to read and, and uh, deliver that on a, on a global scale. So, and and uh, Astrid is a company that, that, that we've partnered with to, to support. So I think we're, we're, we're going to see this, but it's having its challenges and, and maybe getting delayed as a function of companies being very country specific and thus having less resources to invest cool then i think we'll jump to our last three big questions that we ask every guest in our podcast jenny do you want to start 
Yeah, you already know one of them, um, but we're still going to ask you. And um, since you can't answer with uh, Barack Obama, um, we're curious to hear who else it is. So who would you want to discuss the future of education with? And who, what would you ask that person? I think Kanye West is having a very interesting perspective in the new communities that, that he's creating. And I'd be very intrigued on, on his perspective on, on the learning and, and what schools uh, should look like. For one, one of the concepts that he's taken in the, school, in the schools that he developed is it's not limited by age. And I think that's a notion that's quite flawed in, in thinking that uh, the most effective way to group learners is, is uh, through age groups. I think that's more of a social one than, than something that makes makes sense from a learning perspective. So uh, Connie West is, is my answer. Very cool. I, I like the idea of bringing people from the entertainment industry into uh, into learning um, just because, I mean, there are a couple of parallels, right? I mean, gamified education uh, being, being one of them. So yeah, um, would also be a fun interview guest. Um, let's see if we can get him in front of our mics. <laughs> <laughs> boost our listener numbers That's sure he has interesting <laughs> perspectives on a lot of different things indeed the second question is what do you still want to learn in your life i think i still have a lot to learn about how the brain works and i'd also be hopefully the next time i embark on that journey because i spent quite a lot of time uh um in in neuroscience working together with a professor uh a couple of years back, but uh, then I think my conclusion was that we still know so little about what the brain, uh, how the brain works. So hopefully the, the next time I embark on that journey, we, we will have come further in, in, in neuroscience. How do you integrate like learning into your life today, especially as, as someone that's pretty busy building, building his own company? Do you learn with Asana already today? I learn a lot with with uh, with Sana, and I think uh, that's one of the reasons why I developed the tool as well. I, I developed it as myself as one of the first users, uh, but I also learn a lot from people who um, who are the best at in in their specific domain. So whenever I I'm learning something new, I, I try to reach out to the the best researchers in in, in that domain and and get to know them and ask a lot of dumb questions. Uh, um, until they, they stop taking my calls. Um, so that's been one of the ways in, in which I, I learn actually is, is from, from reaching out to, to people who, who are in these domains and, and asking them what, what, are the what do you think are the most important questions in, uh, in, in this domain? And, and that helps guide the, the learning experience. Cool. The last question we have for you, um, together with all our guests, we are actually putting together the ultimate and optimal timetable for the future school. And if you could suggest one subject to be taught in all schools, what would that subject be? Probably learning how to learn. Very meta. But uh, if uh, we can solve that, that uh, subject, we hopefully solve all other subjects as well. 
Very cool. cool. We actually had a had a um, class like that, not like a regular class, but a one week um, a year session um, where we that, that was called um, Lernen zu Lernen. Um, and we thought it was so stupid and so boring. And, and, and thinking back to it, I was like, <laughs> that was so advanced. That was such a cool idea. Yeah, that's such a cool I, I totally idea. agree. But back then, I just didn't get it for some reason. <laughs> yeah. But I guess most subjects were like that. Uh, true, true. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Joel. Um, Thank obviously, you, I, I am personally going to stay close to, to your journey. Um, very excited about what you're building. So thank you so much for, for joining us here today. And best of luck. Yes, this was good fun. And thank you for all the thoughtful questions. 